Hey, listeners, ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high-performance EVs. They're certainly out here there. But when I, when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's, I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it, it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. SiriusXM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash ev6 kia movement that inspires great to meet you great to meet you big fan of of your briefings i have friends on both sides of the aisle in dc and the feedback unflappable funny hilarious gets it Hello, everybody. Welcome to Literally. This is a big one for me today. Um, you know, I think that this is usually a safe zone for politics. People of all stripes can can come here and take a, a breather and just have fun and let their hair down. Um, but the fact of the matter is, I do love politics. Um, today, we have Jen Psaki, White House Press Secretary. Um, I don't know her. I've never met her. I'm very excited to do this. It'll be very interesting to see because I think what people forget when they talk about politics is that there are human beings in the equation and that we can all remind each other of our humanity. Um, And so um, this is a good one. This is super, super, super fun. And I hope you enjoy this as much as I did talking to Jen Salky. I'm super excited uh, to have you on for a number of reasons. One is um, I th- this podcast is is usually a safe zone and it will be today, too. But it's like there's there's some people can can get their their political stuff. There's there's no shortage of it. Everybody's retreated to their corners. I don't need to tell you that. And so it's it's fun to have a place where everybody from all walks of life can come and just chill and take a deep breath. But the fact of the matter is you are the White House press secretary. And this is the first time I've gone, done anything with people in that world. But as I've done this podcast now for a long time, it's time to start bringing that in because I love that stuff. I mean, listen, I have a long history of 
being involved and and um you know obviously i did a show about it so i've heard of that show you're the trailblazer <laughs> you are the you're right you're the trailblazer i think did we was cj craig a, a no dd Dee Dee myers was the first female press secretary is that correct yeah she was um you know i did not watch the west wing until 2012 um, and no, this is a good story, I think. Well, yeah, I don't, no, I I want to hear. But um, I don't know. You can tell me if it's a good story or not. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I didn't watch it until 2012. A lot of people, so many people that I know and I've grown up with in Washington, it inspired them to come here, right? And be a part of this town and, um, and work in government, no question about it. But in 2012, I had left the White House in 2011 and I was working at a consulting firm. I still don't really know what consulting firms do. I'm like a terrible consultant. <laughs> um, so... I was working this consulting firm and the 2012 uh, midterms were starting and I had worked for former President Obama on the campaign and in the first term and I kind of was just exhausted as happens, right, as a human being. Yeah. And so I'm working this consulting firm and I start watching The West Wing and I don't know what prompted me to watch it, but I watched, I binged, you know, the entire thing uh, while I was at this consulting firm and I would do... I'd be working on decks, which is like the worst thing I've ever done in a job where you're kind of editing. De <laughs> yes. I mean, it's editing PowerPoints, basically. Yes. And I would watch episodes of The West Wing. Um, and it, it, you know, in a crazy way, it really brought me back to come back to politics. And I ended wow. up coming back and doing the 2012 campaign and traveling with then President Obama on his reelection. So I was, I was basically gone for like six months. And then I thought to myself, I've got to go back. I've got to go back. So in other words, when you're up there getting grilled by Pete Ducey, you're thinking, God damn, Rob Lowe is the one who put me up here. Aaron Sorkin and Rob Lowe in the West Wing. All your fault. You know, I am. So I know I'm sure you've talked about your character exhaustively, but since <laughs> we're here and I'm sitting in the White House right now. So one, I was the deputy communications director, which was Sam Seaborn's job, right? Oh my God, that's I right. Know. We shared a job in some ways. Um, so I had that job. Um, and when I first got that job, it's a huge job in the White House, right? I was super excited. I'd only been here for nine months or 10 months or something. Super excited. And I'm moving into my new office and Rahm Emanuel, who was the chief of staff at the time, who I've worked for multiple times over, and is as amazing and bananas as everybody says. Bananas. Um, that's a diplomatic word. He's <laughs> off the charts sometimes. But um, he came into my office and he said, oh, this is the office that they gave me when they tried to fire me in the Clinton administration. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's great. Um, but yeah, you know, that character was so inspiring because um, that idealism that Sam Seaborn had, right, that you embodied for many years, mm -hmm. is kind of what the best of Washington is, right? And one of the things that's so great about what I'm living and experiencing now is I've worked here before. I never thought I'd be back in the White House. And now I get to work with all of these people who are a part of the press team or are in their earlier in their career than I am, in their 20s and early 30s, who have that idealism that is like bursting out of their pores that makes you want to be here every day. It's really, um, it's a, an amazing part. There's lots of Sam Seaborns wandering around here. Oh, well, first of all, that makes me feel super good. And and I, I actually am blessed enough to hear that a, a, a bunch. The last time I was at the White House was a, during the Obama administration. It was a Saturday and he was out, not around. And But all the entire speechwriting staff came in on a Saturday <laughs> to say hi. Oh, I'm sure. 
and and you know John Favreau who wrote, wrote for the president was yeah. very vocal about about the what the West Wing meant to him and what I always tell people about Washington is the people who really make the town run are the twenty somethings they they really do they make the town run there's no Washington without them and and that's what blew my mind um, really coming behind the scenes and being there was the level of patriotism, investment, um, wanting to do good and, and there for those reasons and nothing else. And and to see that in young people it makes you feel so good about the future of the country. I, I always find every time I go to D.C., regardless of, of what administration it is, I'm, I'm struck with the same thing. Mm. It's so true. You know, my um, brother-in-law uh, was the deputy speechwriter at that time. He may have been one of the people who came in, in to meet you, but he also reminds me a lot of you, or of the, not you personally, we don't know each other well yet, <laughs> but um, of the character, uh, because he is somebody who um, would kind of, you know, quote from uh, Lincoln and uh, MLK, and yes. that was like finding the right quote in the moment in history that could be in President Obama's speech so that he could really meet this moment. And that is exactly what drives so many people to be in this town. So the, the interesting thing, and maybe this is a hopeful note, is that as rotten as some people think politicians are, they're not all rotten, A, but, or divisive this town is, and it certainly is, um, there are so many good soul human beings who are coming up in the ranks, and that is like encouraging and inspiring and awesome. So, you know, that's the good note. No, I, I, and you're absolutely... You're, you're absolutely right. You know, it's funny. You talk about speech writing. One of the things that I love about loved about playing Sam and about speech writers, and I've been lucky enough to get to know, you know, from Gerson to Favreau, you know, to Peggy Noonan, you know, all of them. I just admire them so much. And I love their reading their best speeches. Um, I think that's why I was a good fit to play Sam, because I really love that stuff. But the notion that they can come up with, a, like you say, the perfect phrase to put in President Obama's mouth and they take no credit for it, which is, you know, just that notion that, no, that's the president speaking. And I may have wrote it. Oh, maybe my idea. But you defer to that and in, in that if you ask anybody, did you write that? It's kind of a badge of honor that they sort of dissemble and can't never give you a straight answer. I kind of love that. The president writes all of his speeches and all of, of his words. He- of course of they course. do. Of course they do. <laughs> right. Of course they do. Of course they do. Can I ask you a question? Because you have such an interesting perspective on this town. I mean, you've done a lot of work on environmental issues and climate issues. And I know on breast cancer as well. And yeah. that's such an important. I've had friends who, I mean, even at my age, who've had breast cancer. Yes. Um, what What do you find the most frustrating or misunderstood about this time? Maybe both. That's a both. That's like your rose and thorn of this town, how it works. Well, there's, there's two things. What I find is frustrating. And then the, th- the thing that's frustrating for me it, now, because I, I, I'm, I remember meeting the president when I brought 250,000 signatures from California voters to oppose judge Bork's nomination to the Supreme court. That's the first time I met president now, president Biden. Um, I, on that trip I was referring to the Saturday, we were stopped at the at the gate between the OEOB and the and the White House because he was in a motorcade leaving and he saw me and came down and he was late, of course. And he talked for 20 minutes, 20 minutes he took out of his day 
to talk to me and I was with a group of eighth graders. And he talked to my son, John Owen, about the New York Giants and football for 20 minutes. And you know this about him. He is one of the nicest men and just like one of the most decent like people to hang out with. And I think my, so my issue is that people don't give, people get so entrenched in their beliefs that they don't see the humanity in, in people that they might disagree with. The West Wing very much celebrated that. Um, I remember the days, you know, when Tip O'Neill and Reagan would, you know, make fun of each other and call each other names and disagree and did disagree. But then, then the lights would go off and they'd, you know, go have a drink and try to hammer something out. You know, I'm not there on a daily basis, but, but it feels like that's maybe a little bit of a lost art. I, I think that's true. I mean, I worked for uh, John Kerry for a while at the State Department. He's the best, but I mean, he is an example of somebody who's so misunderstood. If you get to know him a little bit, he's like the most outgoing, loves life and people, human being I've ever worked for. Explain this to me. So Al Gore, hilarious in a room of five, then walks out into a room of 3,000 and is wooden. It's rare when a person can be can be the person they are with three people in front of the hot spotlight of the nation. And that's what makes the greats. That's true. That's very true. And being able to showcase that and project it, you know. But I also think, you know, I worked for, for former President Obama for a long time and people... He was this like incredible speaker, right? And people, obviously, I'm stating something that's like a part of history. Right, right. But he also, I think, is probably an introvert, right? Somebody who enjoys time himself, reading, thinking, um, and in some ways was misunderstood in that way too, right? Like that he was always going to be the person who gave that speech at the 2004 convention. And no human being is like that all the time either. But um, but uh, I think the point you raised about what you know um bipartisan not bipartisanship that's a very dc term but kind of whether people can kind of find ways to talk and joke with each other and have that moment i mean there's lots of things to blame for it i think but there is such a um a lack of it right now you know and i think even in um the inability to kind of recognize that most people in this country i mean i conclude myself on this even though i'm a democrat working in the white house is part of my life it's not all black and white, right? Nobody is, most people are not like, do I check every box on this like progressive checklist or do I check every box on this conservative checklist, right? Yes. You're a mix of things. Everybody's a mix of things. Um, and there's not a space for that, which I think is part of the problem in politics today, for sure. 100%, look, I, I grew up in a super left-wing, you know, liberal and as I've grown older, which is common, I, I, I drift more right and more more conservative, probably. But I'm always reminded of that great quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson, that foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. So the notion of just rote voting via party, for me, d just doesn't work. Because you say, I'm a little bit of everything. I think at the end of the day, everybody is a little bit of everything, but nobody... I, I don't think that anybody wants to hear that. Everybody wants to know, are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? Or, and, if you, and if you are either of those, then you have to accept absolutely everything that is on that particular agenda. And I just don't think that's where, I don't think it's where real Americans live. You know, I think it's where the media lives. I think it's yeah. where social media lives. 
it's not where real Americans live, right? I mean, it's not in this notion that you have to pass a litmus test in order to be a part of something or else you're not invited to the party. Is just a very, I think that's why there's such a low approval rating for government for despite what all the good that government does, right? Because people feel that they have to fit into the litmus test that's set out for them. Um, I think social media has a lot to do with that and the, uh, you know, how people are rewarded for having, um, not opinions, because opinions are important and great, right? But having extreme viewpoints. And also, don't you think that um, the new, that, I'm not, this is nothing revolutionary, the minute the news media became ratings driven, emotion and conflict drive story, story drives ratings. So that that squeezes out rational discourse and every, everybody now gets the news that they want to get. Yeah. You know, I think there's an, such an interesting thing. So I'm going to give you an optimistic view on this right now, yes, which is please. like, okay, so c- cable news is dying, right? The ratings for it are dwindling, right? Yep. Okay. And, and yep. there is dwindling readership as well of a lot of national newspapers. I'm not sure that's the optimistic view, but I'm getting to a point. But it's facts. I, it's facts. It's facts. Um, there are now streaming services or direction, even in news of the future in all likelihood, right? What I'm hopeful of, and we'll see, is that will be a form for creating a range of content that is informative, right? And isn't from a viewpoint, but is telling you and explaining to you, what does voter suppression mean, right? When we say misinformation, what is that, right? Um, Or when we say climate change, what do we mean by that? And it's not just about people hugging trees. I mean, you know this, but like a lot of people thinking about it that think about it that way, right? Like it's just a a liberal issue. It's not. Um, But maybe it will be a form for creating a range of content that is more along those lines than Democrats and Republicans yelling at each other on a set. Well, the only thing I worry about is, is you see it with COVID where I've done my research Okay, well, you've so you've Googled something, and who knows what what it really is or 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 isn't. And if if everything goes to, you know, these these pockets, I just I just wonder where it's so hard for people to. I really do feel like people feel like they're not getting the truth. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying they're not. I'm saying people feel that way, and I get it. Uh, by the way, that coffee cup was amazing. Oh, this old thing. See, I love that stuff. It's just a coffee with the White House seal. I, I have more White House swag still. I have M&Ms in the White House box. Remember those things? Are they still yes, around? Yes, they are still around. Now they're signed by the pre- new president. Signed new, bo- new. you know, you've got Joe Biden M&Ms. We've got to get you I, some Joe Biden M&Ms. I need some Joe Biden M&Ms. Uh, quick, quick segue. So David Foster, who wrote St. Elmo's Fire theme and a lot of great music. You're an 80s person. You yes, know. I love St. Elmo's Fire. Now I'm going to have the song in my head and I'm going to want right. to watch the movie this weekend. So thank you for that. And so I fake play the saxophone in it. And I was at a political fundraiser. And as a joke, David and I had me fake play the saxophone while he played the song. There was a real saxophone player behind a curtain. I fake played it. I crushed it. I thought what I was going to do was take the saxophone out of my mouth during it so everybody would laugh. But I realized my actor's ego got involved. And then I realized, I'm killing it. I'm going to let, let them think I'm great. And I looked out. President Clinton was in the audience. And he was still the president and he's losing his mind. He's like fist bumping, going crazy. And I get a letter from him like three weeks later. And the first one I've ever gotten from a president on White House says the Oval Office. You know what it looks like. It's very impressive saying, I think we should do a duet sometime. And then I got really super scared because I don't really play. But that 
I have framed, I have a framed, um, also a framed letter from President Bush. I felt this was significant. He wrote on both sides of the paper, so you can't really frame it. And I thought that was interesting. Clinton knows. He's like, he's going to frame this. So you write on both. Bush couldn't care less. So it's on both sides. So I had to get a Lalik like thing that you can see both sides of it. But my 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 number one thing was after 9-11, there was that amazing speech that brought everybody together. And I went to my mailbox and Michael Gerson had sent me the program that you got if you were there of the speech signed by the president and by him. But he's he but but he inscribed it to Sam. Could you have written this? <laughs> and that's that my, is great. Isn't that a cool thing? That is such a cool thing. I mean, look, I was always a White House presidential nerd. Like when that show came my way, it was like, you know, I just felt like that's when I read when I read that part. I felt like I was the only I was like the perfect person to do it because it was You're like, that's me. You want to. Yeah, you want to be that person. Where else can you go surfing and skiing in the same day or check out a world-class art museum and camp out under a brilliant night sky same day or hike through the redwoods and get a luxury spa treatment? There's only one answer, California. No matter where you go across this state, you will find a way to play. Look, I love California. Um, And I have not yet surfed and skied in the same day, although I do do both. So that is on my bucket list. It's the most beautiful place in the world. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided they had something better to offer. So instead of charging the same old ridiculous prices, Harry's found a way to make their beautifully designed razors, and they are beautiful, for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. They have the highest customer satisfaction in shaving history and a no-risk trial. Don't like your shave? No worries. It's on them. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. And Harry's also has other self-care products that meet the same quality standards as their razors. Richly lathering, skin-softening body wash and scents like Redwood, Wildland, and Stone. And an extra high-quality, amazing-smelling deodorant for just five bucks. I love their stuff. I'm so impressed by Harry's products. All of it. It's all good. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash Rob. That's harrys.com slash Rob for a $3 trial set. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you've been listening to Literally long enough, you'll know that I am a big believer in getting the help you need. Therapy has been a big, big, big part of my life. And something I think we should be all doing as needed, just like checking the oil on your car. I've spoken about this, and we all carry around different stressors, big and small. 
We keep them bottled in and it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get the things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Rob Lowe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Rob Lowe. Tell me what the Oval Office is like under President Biden, because under President Clinton, it was chill. You could wear jeans. When I walked in the first time, he had his big Bertha golf driver leaned up against the wall. Um, when I went to visit President uh, W. Bush, there was a velvet rope and you were not to enter. It was like the Vatican. Yeah. It was like a holy shrine. <laughs> and every president brings their own style to it. First of all, has Biden redone it yet? Because every president redoes it and it takes a, like almost a year and a half to even get the carpet done. So he has he has not redone it with new stuff. They have the cool thing is that any of them can go back into the archives, I guess. Of, I don't know where this stuff lives. I'm kind of now curious. It's in the Smithsonian. It's in the Smithsonian. I guess. And they just say, I would like that rug or I yes. would like that couch or yep. I would like. So the one of the couches that President Obama had in the Oval Office is now in the treaty room, which is the president's personal office and his uh, in his uh, in the residence. Now, I remember this couch very well because I'm five foot three and it is a couch made for six foot tall people. And so every <laughs> so it's kind of like there's no way to sit on it without looking like you're a little kid with kind of your legs out. Um, but he has just tapped into things that were there. Uh, but I mean, he has the same desk, of course, that nearly the every Resolute. president. Said. Yeah, the Resolute desk that has kind of the, the famous picture of John John. Yeah, exactly. By the way, do you know why? Do you know why there's a door there? No, I don't actually know. And now I'm embarrassed because I'm not going to know as much trivia as you do. And I'm a little fearful of that. But go ahead. I want to know now. Okay, so the picture of John John peeking up from underneath the desk uh, is obviously a very famous picture. But if you were to walk into the Oval right now, that that is not open down there where John John is. Right. It's closed. No, it's closed. Yeah, it's closed because it covered FDR's wheelchair. That makes sense. And as a fact, I feel like I knew at one point. Have you seen the soot marks from the burning of the White House in 1812 in the basement. I have seen those. uh, It's amazing, right? It's amazing. And my last day working for President Obama, um, we did a scavenger hunt of sorts uh, where we did all of the things that you want to do in the White House. And so that was one of them. What what else did you do? uh, I shot some baskets. I shot some basketballs. I did a little hit a hit a golf ball on the tee. Um, Amazing. What else? Oh, you know, there's a whole thing. You probably know because you're a historian of sorts of the White House and the best tour guide. Um, There's a where the pool used to be, which is under the briefing room. So you should you can sign your name. Um, And so we went all went and signed our names um, there as well. But we kind of had about 10 things that you would check up. And it was a little bit of a dark time for us. So it was kind of a, a very happy day around around here because it was fun i got to i signed my name on the pool 
I'm 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 down there. It's hard to get down, isn't it? I mean, you have to climb through all the wires and crap. Yeah, and it was get... kind of like, should we be doing this? But I think we're allowed to because it's our last day. <laughs> I guess it's fine. But yeah, you have to. It's a little tricky. Listen, if I was allowed to do it, you're allowed to do it. Um, and that's the famous JFK pool where like JFK would not was, just swimming. Yeah, yeah, not just swimming. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. yeah. Uh, well, you were asking me about what the what the well. So the decoration isn't done yet. Now the yes. president. So he is, um, you know, he is a, an immaculate dresser. So I have not worn jeans in there, but I think he wouldn't care if you did. I mean, he wears jeans and things on the weekends, but he always looks very well put together. So, um, so I haven't, I haven't kind of casualed, I haven't had casual clothes in there really yet. But he also, um, one of my, one of my memories I will remember from kind of until you know for a long time i guess is um on my first day before i did my first briefing i was in the oval office talking with him about the briefing and anything he wanted me to convey or what i expect or whatever and i said you know i think you're going to be asked about um the letter uh that the former president left you and he said oh did he leave me a letter and and i was like am i telling him he was left a letter i don't know okay so i said i think so i think I think that's what happened. So he kind of looked around for the letter um, and read the letter while I was sitting there, which was just kind of a remarkable moment. Um, no kidding. He didn't read wow. it out loud. He read it to himself. And he is such a classy guy, whether people agree with his politics or not, that he didn't even convey it to us in that moment of what the letter said. He kind of read the letter, consumed it himself. We still don't know what was in the letter. It was long. Really? Uh, yeah. It was very long. Uh, the the script from where I could see was very lovely, but um, but I I don't I don't know what was in the letter. But uh, yeah, that was one of my my early uh, memories. But he also is someone, and I hadn't worked for him really before. Uh, I mean, I had worked for him when he was vice president, but I didn't know him well. I kind of was in meetings with him, but we didn't know each other well. And maybe a couple of weeks into the job, I was in the Oval talking to him about something in the press, and he was like, "Pull up a chair, come on over." He's just somebody who you feel like you've known forever. Um, and I think I said that to him at the time. I said, I hope this isn't I hope this isn't an inappropriate thing to say to a president. I don't know. As soon as you say that, you know, maybe you shouldn't say it. But um, and I said, but I feel like I've known you for a long time and I feel very comfortable con talking to you um, because he just has that that character about him. He does. I, have, I, I also have another question I want to ask you. And you'd think I would know this. Do you still use the phrases um, gaggle? And it's a full lid. So we still use both phrases. Please explain what those mean. Your gaggle is not geese. It can be if you want. <laughs> um, a gaggle is when you're on your first one. Um, you don't do a briefing that day. You do what's called a gaggle. And uh, it is I don't actually know why it's called that, the, origi the origin of it. But what it is, is you, all of the reporters gather around you on the plane and you do a form of a briefing on the plane, but it's not on camera. And a full lid. A full lid means um, the day is done. There is no more events for the president and no more statements coming out. Why a full lid? What does it even mean? It means you can go home. I mean, the thing is, is a lot of these reporters um, who are here working every day, I think everybody thinks of, and they do have, fascinating jobs. I mean, they're front seats to history. The space where the reporters work is very small and needs to be updated. I mean, it's kind of gross. A lot of them would tell you, and I will confirm that. 
It's gross. super gross. It's gross. And um, they have to wait basically until they know there's not news coming out um, from the president. So you have to give them what's called a full lid so that they know that they can convey to their editors, their news desks, that there's no more news coming from the White House tonight. I just love like, why don't you say there's no more news coming from the president? It, no, it's called a full lid. Um, what is the sort of looks like to be a White House set thing that so much was made of what I've missed. Is it, is it there or is this, you can have more reporters or is it in the OEOB? So it's easier to get to. What's the deal with that? Yeah. Okay. So the OEOB, so, which is, as you kind of described this a few minutes ago, but the West wing is divided by this street called West exec. And then there's a big building where most people work and there's a, an auditorium in there called South court auditorium or SCA as it's called on schedules. Um, and in normal times, not during COVID, it's just a place where you can do events, but it's really not that exciting. It's kind of just an auditorium. But because of COVID and because the president was gonna, wasn't going to travel as much and not as many people were going to come here, um, he does a lot of events and actually meetings from there where you mm. can put up a bunch of people on screens and um, be able to see them and talk to them and engage with them in a way you would do if he had 30 people in a meeting here. So um, they they built it out more uh, to make it look a little bit better visually and to, to ensure that he could kind of engage with people and see them in different boxes. So Okay, that's cool. Now, here's an interesting thought or thing is that um, if you work in the, and by the way, OEOB stands for Old Executive Office Building. If yes. you work in the, in the Old Executive Office Building, you work in the White House. You can say, I have an office in the White House. Yeah. But you may not have a blue badge, and the blue badge allows you to get into the West Wing, or you have to be escorted. Ooh. There you go. I got to watch President Clinton prepare for the State of the Union. That was super exciting in the theater. Um, and it's like whenever you get to see that stuff is so, I mean, I just kind of pinched myself that I that I was lucky enough to see some of, some of that stuff because not a lot of folks get to see it, and and it gives you a real insight into all of it. I mean, I can remember what— you know, at a convention sometime going into the basement and John Glenn was working on the teleprompter and like you just, you know, Tom Harkin, who you, I know you worked yes. for, yeah. was, uh, uh, I was one of his early supporters for whatever presidential run he did. What is it? Mm-hmm. I would say it's 90, 92, 92. He came out and spoke at Roseanne Barr's tennis court. Wow. Yes. Did you go campaign, uh, for him in Iowa or other places? No, I never did. I really liked him. Yeah. And, you know, all of the fixtures that have been in, in Washington forever, they, they're, it's, well, it's no different than my business. There, there are folks who, you know, I'm in my, Jesus, I'm in my sixth decade of being an actor. And we have a very different vibe, ethos, worldview than those who have come up in the TikTok you know, Instagram world. And, and I can only imagine what that would be like in Washington because the world has changed so much. Yeah, I think that's true uh, in terms of, there's kind of a, a difference in terms of how you consume information or think about it. But I also think it's interesting, and I'm, I think, I assume you feel this way, to learn from how people are 10 years, 20 years younger consuming information or how they're taking things in. I mean, that's, I, I think, kind of one of the fascinating things about 
my job or a job like mine, where there's just such a community, you know, it's like a family, I call it a family lot. Um, and you kind of, and I don't know if it's like, is it like this on sets or with movies or shows you do where you kind of develop this almost like quick family with a group of people that you're in the foxhole oh. with. I and mean, it's definitely oh, yeah. like that in politics and government too. There's nothing like it when it comes to a presidential campaign. Yeah. Out of all of the things I've ever been a part of in any level that until you've been through it, there's nothing like it. nothing There's nothing more exciting. Nothing. The adrenaline you could work 18 hours a day and never, never give a, a damn. Am I, am I wrong about that? No, that's completely true. And you're just kind of eating pizza and drinking bad beer and sleeping on couches of supporters. And you're just happy to be there. So that hasn't changed. No, and I think especially, I mean, I the first presidential campaign I did was the Kerry campaign. I actually worked with John Favreau on the Kerry campaign. We were both on the campaign when basically everyone was fired and quit, and we, we were like two of the only people left in the oh, press no. and communication. Oh my God. I, was in, I was actually in Iowa at the time, and he was in D.C., but um, it's adrenaline for sure. Um, it is feeling like you're a part of something bigger than yourself because you are. Um, it's competitive in many ways. You know, I was a many? slam in oh college. My God. It's so competitive. You just want to beat, you know, not physically, yes. you know, but you just want to no. beat the other person um, or the other candidates. Um, and then, you know, I was a very, I worked for Obama very early on. And that group of people who worked in 2007 when nobody thought we could win and everybody doubted us. And we went through all these journeys of Jeremiah Wright and all these things that oh are ancient God, history. Oh, my God, remember that? Jesus, yeah. Oh, man, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, but, yeah, you you have a bond with these people. You know, you may not see them for five years or 10 years, and it is still kind of, you love them like sisters and brothers. And that's something that I don't think you experience in most workplaces. And I have that with, I mean, it's obviously a totally different thing, but like, you know, people are like, hey, when was the last time you saw Tom Cruise? I go, it's it's been a bit, but whenever we see each other, because we did the Outsiders together and we were 18 and on location yeah. and bunking in each other's rooms and it's our, it, we're trying to beat the door down. You're trying to beat <laughs> the door down to get into the White House. We're trying to beat the door down to have careers and yeah. it happens. You have that. It's exactly the same thing. You it's knew each like, other when, you know, I mean, exa yeah. yeah, exactly. If you knew each other when you were 18 or 22 or 24, it's like you have a because and you're in the foxhole together, it's just such a different, it's like, like a lifelong bond for sure. Transform your bathroom cleaning with Wet and Forget, weekly shower cleaner. You just spray today and rinse tomorrow for a no scrub clean. With over 33,000 five-star reviews, this is your once a week solution to keeping your tub and shower surfaces sparkling clean. Available at Amazon, Lowe's, Menards, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware. Join thousands who switch to an easier clean. Get your wet and forget weekly shower cleaner today and make your bathroom sparkle with zero scrubbing. The weather is getting warmer. It's time to ditch the jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. But there's no need to waste money on clothes that only last one season. With Quince, now you can get high-quality pieces that never go out of style. You'll be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts for $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
By partnering with the top factories, Quince cuts out the middleman and passes the savings directly onto you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. My producer recently made an order for Quince, and here's what he had to say. I'm really excited to revamp my closet with Quince. I cannot wait for my items to arrive from Quince. You know, I'm a sweater guy. I was looking at that burgundy cashmere crew neck. I love the blue chore jacket. Maybe I'll throw some joggers in there. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash Rob for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Rob to get free shipping and 360 day returns. Quince.com slash Rob. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Once President Biden is done serving the country, yeah, who do you see as the natural leaders in the Democratic Party? Here's the thing. Joe Biden's going to run for re-election, he says, but um, it's impossible to know uh, because right. there might be people, and this is what's so fascinating about not just politics, but kind of how the public moves with, with leaders who may not even have run for office yet. Right. Who might be the next future leader of the Democratic Party. Um, and maybe they're in the midst now. I mean, you know, there's a lot of young up and coming people and who are governors and in Congress and stuff. But we may not know yet, which is kind of a fascinating part of it. Well, it, it always makes me laugh when people start handicapping. It's like it's six months is six years. I know. It's, ins- it's mental. And the other thing is, is, as you alluded to with, with Obama and Jeremiah Wright or President Trump with, you know, grab them by the you know what's like those things did not. end. not only did it not end them, they were elected. So we live in. A, I, I remember when Edwin Muskie got tears in his eyes because it was cold on the steps in New Hampshire and people thought he was weak and he was done. So that's how far we've I thought that's all tears in his eyes. Well, he's not qualified to be the president. Like that's what a different world we're living in. It's true. And, and some is good and some isn't good. Right. I mean, some is is like, well, you're kind of looking at someone like and I'm biased here. I'm a Democrat as known. Yeah. But like, you know, President Obama or there are certainly Republicans like this, too. You kind of know they're a good human. Right. I think people could see that in him. People see that in other people. Uh, Republicans, John McCain, Mitt Romney. There are different people who people could see as good human beings. Right. They like yeah. them, uh, you yeah. know. That is often what propels them forward. And so they can move past some things, right? They can move past mistakes or gaffes or things they just have questions about or they're confused by. Because overarchingly, they look at them and they like the bigger picture of who they are and what they represent or maybe what they say about them liking them. That's a whole other thing. But um, but then there are also things that, you know, there's a celebrity nature of politics, too, that isn't always good. Right. Um, and I, you are a celebrity. So maybe that's a weird frame to frame to use. But meaning like. No, please. I because I hate the phrase. So cele- there are celebrities. 
for sure. But you're right. There is a celebrity nature to it. You're right. So I meant celebrity in the sense of who is going to be getting, you know, the most attention on Twitter and kind of the most viral because it's the most extreme, right? Yes. From yes. either party, right? Yeah. And that sometimes because of our system is rewarded. And that's not. Th so sometimes people can move beyond a lot of faults because they're like, oh, look, they're just out there and famous. And I don't know. That's not. That's what's troubling. So do you treat poll numbers the way I treat the Nielsen ratings where I go? If they're, if do you if, burn if, them in a fire? I don't know. No, what I do, I, I just, <laughs> I just blatantly. Here's my thing, I'm, and I don't care. I'm blatant about it. If the ratings are good, I go, oh, the Nielsen ratings. Yeah, the ratings are great. How great is this? And if they're bad, I'm like, the Nielsen ratings don't know what they're doing. They're not, they're not a, an actual sample of how people watch television. I don't believe in the Nielsen. That's like the way I, <clears throat> I live with them. Sometimes yes, <laughs> right? Because you need to. I mean, at least in my world, you need to for your own. Sanity. The ability to wake up in the next day and keep fighting it out, right? But there are sometimes, many times, where you have to kind of look in politics and government, right, and be like, what's going on here, right? What are right. people troubled by? And you have to be um, sobered, clear-eyed about that, and, and kind of be able to take that in, right? Take in the criticism of it. Uh, because if you don't, you're not really addressing it. And at the end of the day... You know, my business is is still run by ratings, and at yeah. the end of the day, your business is still run by voters. And right. it's, you know, you got it. You got to give the audience what they want in a certain level. That's true. Oh, I know what I want to ask you. When you come to the podium and you have your you have your briefing book, I'm I'm assuming that you you have pre thought what you're likely to be asked. Yeah. Well, and, right. I mean, yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I you mean, know, you don't, don't want to be making up. Uh, anything on the fly no you don't want to be making up anything on the fly now the best days are when you have something to say right because there are days where you're thinking oh man they're going to ask about something you know what's the future of voting rights it's a great question i have no idea right now right you can't say that so you have to come <laughs> up with what you're going to say um a protecting right so but i have so this binder which is kind of this like it's like sitting next to me right now my special friend um, this binder, which has so much information in it, not because necessarily I have to kind of read it. I, I do use it a lot, but because there's stuff in there that can sometimes provide more clarity or provide um, more accurate, up-to-date information to alleviate confusion. I mean, it's not that I don't get asked biased questions. I mean, this is, you know. They're all biased. On every side, they're all they're all, all biased. You can always tell the agenda. I, for me, I can always tell the agenda of the reporter, regardless of what side they're on, by the question. I mean, that's. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, I don't even know if it's a partisan agenda, but my, my complete pet peeve with the reporters who cover the White House know this well, is when people say, I saw someone on the street and they said oh. X or people are saying it drives me absolutely insane. Um, so they don't do that as much anymore. But but that that is often too often. And sometimes when you when you read it's it's like we're talking about polls when people write stories that say X will be detrimental to the Democrats in the midterms. It's like you have no idea what will be detrimental. Maybe it's something worse than that. Right. Or maybe it's not <laughs> that at all. You know, or maybe actually we're going to win. You know, it's unknowable in this moment because you don't know where the country is going to be and think. So, you know, writing these, this is going to be terrible about, you know, schools are closed. That was the whole story a year ago. 
schools right. aren't open and that's going to be terrible for the democrats in two years when there are midterms like first of all it's not 98 percent of schools are now open but you can't predict where the country will be where the psyche is going to be how people are going to be thinking that far in advance and there's just the the predictions business is just a bit of a crazy one let me ask you this um i remember the days when the first question always went to helen thomas yeah of associated press yeah. Now, how do you choose who gets the first, or, or is that even a thing anymore? Because that was a big thing of honor. Yeah, it still is a thing. Um, so actually, we went back to the tradition of the Associated Press, getting the first question, and then essentially ending the briefing. Although sometimes you still take a few more questions. It's funny you say that because I, I just learned this. Is this true that up until President Trump blew up all that, that whole system, that the press told you when the briefing was over. True. Am I wrong about this? No, this is true. Now, there are some caveats in there because sometimes the schedule necessitates that you can only brief for a certain amount of time. Sure. And also the briefings can be quite repetitive. So there are times when the when the, when actually the AP is thinking to the, the AP reporter is the arbiter of thinking, okay, we've answered this question five times. Now I think it's yep. time to go. Or you say, you do it every day. I've done 171 briefings as of today. Jeez. You know, 45 minutes, that's pretty good, right? And they have other things to do, the reporters. So that is true. Now at the State Department, where I was also the, I was the spokesperson there a couple of years ago, the way it works there is that the reporters can stay on, the AP always starts, this guy named Matt Lee, who has been there forever and is brilliant. But um, and he's a tough he's like a curmudgeon who will push you. But, you know, good soul. But mm -hmm. he uh, they start a topic and then they stay on whatever topic they want for as long as they want. So if they want to talk about the South China Sea for 45 minutes, they can. Or, you know, you answer questions about it until you say, OK, are we ready to move on to the next topic? Or you might say, OK, I think we've covered everything we can on this topic. But they stay on one topic until they're ready to move on, which in many ways it's harder because, oh, yeah. you know, you have to answer 15 questions on the same issue. So I have a question for you. And and this was the week where the president did his two hour press conference. Yeah. Um, and now how did how, that was a long press conference? Let's just face it. It was a Re long press record conference. breaking. In fact, record, record breaking. breaking and yeah. absolutely got into the thing where he was answering the same question five times. Mm -hmm. Were you, was that planned? Was it on the fly? Was it was it like, you think this guy can't talk in front of the country? We're going to put him there for two hours. What, yeah. what was the thinking behind it? Uh, it was not planned. It was planned to be an hour. Um, and, oh, my God. Right. It was planned to be an hour. Um, he had a list of questioners just so he knew who to call on. And often he goes beyond that. Um, and, um, you know, I think in the moment, uh, he just decided to take some more questions. Um, and that went on for... A record-breaking amount of time. Were you pulling your hair out? I mean, there is a moment where, like, look, let's face it, and it's not its not a knock on anybody, where you just go, declare victory and get off the field. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I'm a pretty chill person, I think people who work with me would say, um, but I think when some of the questions started to be off and cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs land there, uh, yeah. I was thinking, oh my, what, where are we going here with this? Um, <laughs> and that's obviously not on the president. I mean, he's trying yeah, to call on anyone not. in the room, right? Yeah. Um, but then the truth is, after a few of those, it kind of came back to, yeah, some of it was repetitive, but there were also questions that hadn't been asked and they were about a range of topics and he bantered around with lots of the reporters and 
know, it's funny, there's been, this is like a very Washington thing, obsession with him doing a formal press conference, which is, is what happened the other night. Right. But he also has taken questions multiple times a day since he started the presidency from the reporters. So in a funny way, it was a, it was kind of people seeing what he does nearly every day, but in a less formal setting. But yes, there was a moment there where I was thinking, where is this going? And where, what, who else is going to be called on in this room? No, um, I watched it from, from the beginning at work. I'm shooting not my, the show, my show, 911 Lone Star. Yeah. I'm watching, I'm watching it in my trailer. And then I go, I, I literally went and put out five fires and saved <laughs> three people and came back and the president was still talking. Well, first of all, that's a remarkable two hours that you had there, putting out five fires and saving three people. So <laughs> now, let's just, they were fake fires and they were fake people, but still. Still, still let's congratulate you for that. That's significant. Um, yes, it was lengthy. Um, but also uh, part of that engagement, you know, this is the funny part about him having been in the Senate for 36 years. And you've probably been around, you know, in the Senate, which is so different from here. I mean, reporters come up, they talk to me, they can come in our offices anytime they want, et cetera. Um, but in the Senate and, and the House, reporters are, are everywhere. They're in the hallway, they're outside the bathroom, they're it's in shocking. the lunchroom. It's, it's kind of shocking. It's shocking. And that's what he's used to. Um, and that's kind of what he grew you know, what he grew up with in a lot of ways, you know, through his through his life in politics. Do senators have hideaways or is that just congressmen? If you're in leadership. You know, certain ones, special ones do. So the hideaways, which I learned this late on, I was like, well, the hideaway. Mm." I know. Where you can have meetings and stuff. Yeah, it sounds very like, ooh, what's this? But they all have these like weird cubbyhole actual hideaways in the bottom of the Capitol. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. It's, It's very, there's a lot of really super cool stuff that goes on. That like when you're in the inside, you're like, if you're a nerd like me, if you're a political nerd like me. Yeah, Safe place. I am also a political nerd, <laughs> so it's okay. Yeah, we're 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 in the right place. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I don't come to a briefing without my book, just like you. And in my book, my briefing on you that tells me that you are a big dance party fan. And <laughs> it's true. And yeah, it's um, same. You have one song you can dance to for the rest of your life. Oh my God. Okay. And you can. And by the way, it doesn't have to be told. You can give me. A genre, an era. You can give me a couple ideas. Okay, I need a couple because I would say that in my car, when I kind of need a moment, when I'm going into work or on my way home, right now I'm in a combo of things. Okay. Oh, this is great. Okay. I'm in Queen, right? Queen, old school Queen. Mm -hmm. Yep. Taylor Swift, her newer album. Mm -hmm. I also love Eric Church. I love a little country in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I did make my staff listen to Meatloaf today. They were not familiar with Meatloaf. Um, and the oh, fact that way, I knew, how shocking is that? Yeah. Um, I, my, I was like, I knew all the words and I was dancing behind my desk. And I think they were both horrified. They thought I was 100. I don't know what was happening at the same time. But um, yeah, I might listen to Paradise by the Dashboard Light on the way home because it feels right. I'm always shocked with when the youngins don't know certain things. My assistant, who's amazing. She was like, who's that guy that you li- like listen to all the time? Tone Pet? Tone Pet? I was like, I'm sorry, Tom Petty? Oh, Tom Pet. Okay. She thought Tom Petty was Tone Pet. No, that is. Yes. That makes me sad and like I need to send her some Tom Petty things, which I'm sure you've already taken care of. Yeah. Tom Petty is actually my favorite. If he, I never saw him in concert. 
If there was anybody I could see in concert, living or dead, it would be Tom Petty. My wow. husband feels bad that I never saw him in concert. This is something because he's an amazing hubby, but he brings yep. up on the regular basis. American Girl, any Tom Petty song, I would blast Tom Petty on the way home too. I love him. Yeah. Oh, I know it. So campaigns have theme songs. Yeah. Um, I remember every time I hear "Coming to America" by Neil Diamond, I'm yeah. instantly transported yeah. to freezing my ass off with Michael Dukakis in some yes. cornfield. Um, yes. So what? What was the? What was the? What do you think the greatest campaign song? that you've been a part of is and do you, what, what ones do you remember? Like, can you remember who had what? I mean, sign sealed delivered is always going to remember of me yeah, of the Obama 100%. campaign for 100%. sure. 100%. The greatest. Um, for sure. You know, and um, Stevie Wonder came on, I traveled with Obama on both campaigns. So I was at nearly every campaign of any ever did. And I remember Stevie Wonder being really tired because you're just, as we've talked about, so exhausted, like you can barely function on these campaigns, although it's adrenaline. Yeah. But, Remember, I remember being at the press riser and, and he was kind of five feet away. And I was thinking, I have to kind of enjoy this moment. I probably somewhere in my phone have video of him at an Obama event. Um, so that will always make me think of that campaign. Um, Do you remember what John Kerry's was? I'm trying to think yeah. of what it was. Now I can't remember. Now I've got to jog my memory. I remember part of his stump speech was just really weird. So. Well, now you've got me on one, one other tangent. So when I love it, when politicians ask show business people to come in and help either write, ghostwrite something or give them. And, and so two things that I, I re, one note is John Kerry had a great opening line that he muffed at the Democratic convention was I'm John Kerry and I'm reporting for duty. And if I could just said, John don't put a space after I'm John Kerry because they'll applaud and then, and then it isn't as good. It. And then they'll yeah. miss it, which he did. He's, I'm John Kerry. <laughs> yeah. And I'm report missed, missed opportunity. So there's that. They didn't ask me. So there you go. The other one was apparently, this is, this is great. So I don't know if you know this. So I guess Gore asked Rob Reiner for advice on, you know, coming across less wooden and whatever during the, debate the town hall format debate against Bush, the one where you get to wander around. And Rob Reiner was like, get in his face. I mean, like, like, you know, like, like get, get in his space. And, you know, some actors can take direction and some actors can't take direction. So that's why there's that amazing moment in that debate <laughs> where Bush is talking and all of a sudden Al Gore's right behind him. Like literally lurking. <laughs> it's like, not like that. And Bush has that great moment where he turns around, and, where Bush turns around and goes like, and goes back and actually got a laugh. <laughs> but that's that's where that came from. A little too literal, maybe, or not exactly, exactly, not the right stage direction. <laughs> not now, not now. <laughs> um, please give the president my best. It's I been will. A long, it's been a really, really, really long time since I've seen him. Absolutely. And he, again, my, I, I just am so grateful to how nice he was to my boy and, and that group of kids, it really made a big, big difference on him. And, 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 and he grew up to be the president. And your boys have grown up too, which is also cool. So I will tell him that. I will tell him that. Please do. And, um, I, oh, is the White House Correspondents' Dinner back on? It is, uh, as of now. Um, they may need to call old Robbie Lowe. I'll tell them too. I, w I would throw my name in the hat on that. 
All right. That's All a, right. That's a real challenge. It's a tough room, boy. Oh, man. That room is, yeah, it's tough. But but <laughs> it's an opportunity to absolutely murder. It's yes. so, right? Yes, it is. Because there's just a type of joke that will slay in that room. Slay. So, yeah. So good. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was great talking to you. It was fun. Yeah. I'll be watching. See, that wasn't so hard, was it? Huh? All my conservative friends. It was right. She's like a real person. All my liberal friends. You're super pumped. Everybody's a winner. As it should be. Um, That was great. I got to nerd out. Got to politically nerd out. Um, I hope you guys had a blast. That was super fun. Um, And now let's have a little gander at the lowdown line. Hello, you've reached literally in our lowdown line where you can get the lowdown on all things about me, Rob Lowe. 323-570-4551. So have at it. Here's the beep. Hello, Rob. This is uh, Tim from Chicago. I really enjoy the podcast. I have a question about uh, one of your movies. I think it's the best romantic comedy ever made. Uh, filmed in, uh, I think, 86 it came out. It was called About Last Night. Uh, it's a, a great uh, movie about Chicago, where I'm from. So really enjoyed that movie. My question is, do you think, if do Dan and Debbie stay together? Do they get married? Or do they live happily ever after? Or do they end up? You know, at the end, they kind of left it open there. But do you think they'd still be together, in your opinion? All right. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. Greatest romantic comedy of all time. I'll take it. Um, I do like that movie a lot, by the way. And I, I, I put it up there. I definitely, with all humility, put it up there with any romantic comedy. I really do. Um, of course, we're both biased. You live in Chicago, and I'm in it. so. What the hell do you and I know? But that said, um, it's funny. We There were two sequel scripts written for that movie um, addressing that very question. They were really good, both of them. And they just never got made for whatever reason. I definitely think Danny and Debbie got together and, and lived happily ever after. I mean, 100%. And, and, and there, was a, there was a moment in time where I would have loved to, maybe I would still do it, where you, you, would, you would go back and, not even go back, but revisit what, what whatever happened to them. Um, but that's a function of how, how brilliant that script was um, based on a David Mamet play, Sexual Perversity in Chicago is the name of it. And then Tim Kazarinski and Denise DeClue um, from Saturday Night Live, another, they wrote the, the screenplay. And um, yeah, it's one of, for sure of, of, the, of the 80s era movies I did, definitely the one I'm the most proud of. So I'm glad that you, you like it too. Appreciate your call. Thanks so much. Listen, um, tune in next week, and also don't forget to um, give us a, a five-star rating on Apple. It's always really important to the show. Um, you guys are, are great fans of the show. If you're a great fan, you can really help out by doing that. And also, while I'm at it, don't forget to listen to Parks and Recollection this week. Um, Alan Yang and I are breaking down one of the best Parks and Rec episodes this week. Um, and I will see you next time, though, here on Literally. 
You've been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe, produced and engineered by me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Our researcher is Alyssa Grawl. Our talent bookers are Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. And music is by Devin Bryant. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Literally with Rob Lowe. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at the coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.